Yeah, still 27 degrees here in Salford. Hi there, welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. It is the 13th of June, 2023. Do drop me a message during the programme, please, via the usual ways. It's good to be with you. It's Aircon City here at BBG Towers. Thank heavens for the Aircon then. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, I do mean that. Thank heavens for air conditioning. Who invented the aircon unit? Whoever he or she was, let's uh, get together. Let's let's crowdfund a statue for the person. I'll be joined this hour by Tony Gosling. Journalist extraordinaire, you know him, not the BCFM politics show. Tony will be with me this hour. Now, a bit later on in hour two, Kate Shemarani will join us. Kate is a former NHS nurse. These days, she presents internet radio. She co-founded the British Nursing Alliance. Lots to get into with Kate. I'm looking forward to this programme, so I am. And I've already mentioned how you can reach out to me, do it via the brand new, recently brand new, nearly brand new, not so brand new app for the programme, that is the Richie Allen Show app, or reach out to me via the website richieallen.co.uk. I'm going to rush through this news rundown, or roundup, whatever you want to call it. So the COVID inquiry has begun to hear evidence publicly for the first time, the COVID inquiry. Let's get into a little bit of what was said today. A major new phase of the inquiry, looking at how the government handled the COVID pandemic, got underway this morning. The inquiry is expected to last for at least three years. Its chairwoman, Baroness Heather Hallett, says she wants to look at whether the UK was properly prepared for the pandemic, how it responded and what lessons can be learned for the future. Mm. Was the country appropriately prepared for a pandemic? And what lessons can be learned? So the alarm bells, well, look, we thought this in any case. We thought whitewashed, didn't we? So the alarm bells are ringing then. A little bit more from the BBC. Nearly three and a half years after the first case was discovered in this country, the COVID inquiry is underway. These stories from around the UK were played to reflect the grief and the anger of families affected. I'm angry. I need questions answered. I'm just still hurt and I'm still upset. And it's not going to go away just like that. 227,321 people in the UK have died of COVID-19. Those latest statistics are based on information on death certificates. The true number is likely to be much higher. Yeah, she said died of COVID-19. 227,300, she said, died of COVID-19. That is nonsense. More on that in a minute. A little bit more now from the BBC. The inquiry, which will take several years, will be split into several modules. The first, pandemic preparedness, will hear from about 70 witnesses. Then political decisions will come under the spotlight. Followed by the impact on the NHS across the UK, the inquiry will then look at vaccines and drugs. Future modules will also examine government procurement, social care and the impact on education and businesses. Right. The impact on education, children and the economy and businesses. 
Now, I'd like to take you back in time. We should have that music. They have music sometimes on, on, do you remember 70s and 80s television programmes when somebody would imagine going back in time, the picture would go all wavy on the screen. So 227,300 people died of COVID, she said. She didn't even say with COVID, died of it. I want to bring you back to 2021, February. So it's about two years and four months ago. Two years and four months ago. Bell Mooney, a writer for the Daily Mail, wrote a very moving piece in that newspaper, right? Revealing that her father died. He was 99 and his death was recorded as coronavirus. Now, Bell Mooney was shocked back in February of 2021 because Dad, who had reached the great age, as I said, of 99, had been suffering with dementia and chronic pulmonary obstructive disease. Covid didn't kill the gentleman at all, right? So understandably, at the time, she wanted to know what was going on and how often, importantly, this was happening. And hundreds of Daily Mail readers got in touch with her to say, you won't believe it, Bell, but this has happened to us too. Doctors got in touch, scientists got in touch, MPs got in, in touch. And at the time, they said, we want an inquiry. Uh, the Daily Mail even spoke to a funeral director who told the Daily Mail that the overcounting of coronavirus deaths was a national scandal. Remember, keep in mind, February of 2021. Now, a number of families wrote to the mail to say they managed to persuade their doctors to change the cause of death away from COVID-19. Some families were so disgusted by this that they managed to get the doctor, the GP, to reverse themselves and say, no, the person died of COPD complications or they died of pneumonia complications or they died of illnesses associated with dementia or whatever. Right. Now, at the time, dear listener, again, February 2021, the Lib Dem MP Leila Moran, who at the time chaired the all-party parliamentary group on coronavirus, she said at the time the government should call a public inquiry into the handling of the pandemic immediately with an interim investigation into all COVID deaths that should report as soon as possible. Right? Again, the Telegraph reported that me medical experts were citing pressure on doctors to include COVID-19 as the cause of death. Doctors coming under pressure to cite COVID as cause of death, right? Because in 2020, COVID was ruled a notifiable disease meaning that any case needs to be reported officially. And again, back in February of 2021, Claire Gerada, a professor, a former chairwoman of the Royal College of GPs, right? No small beer, right? Claire Gerada. She said, when this all comes out in the wash, we will find out we have over-recorded COVID-19 as a cause of death. So that's February 2021. Let's go back to the beginning of it. Let's go back to the summer of 2020, right? So lockdown was imposed in March of 2020. In the summer of 2020, merely weeks since lockdown began, Oxford University blew the whistle on the fact that as many as a third of recorded COVID deaths were people who died of, quote, primarily other conditions, end quote. 
right? Meaning that people who died of heart attack, stroke, brain hemorrhage, murder, murder and traffic accidents were being added to the COVID death toll if they had previously tested positive for the virus and not just tested positive within 28 days. No, 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 no. If somebody tested positive in April 2020 for coronavirus and then got hit by a bus in July, they were actually added to the death figures for COVID, listed as having died with coronavirus and added to the statistics. And you're not going to believe it. How do I know all of this stuff? Well, because I kept a record of all of this while it was happening. All of this is available to read on richieallen.co.uk. Go into the archives and go right back to 2020, late 2020, 2021. I've been covering this, writing about it, grabbing this information from the broadsheet newspapers and saving it. Right. Okay. So, early on, even the World Health Organization, right, the lousy WHO, advised strongly that even if COVID appeared on the death certificate as a significant significant condition, wait for it, the, the death should not be included in the figures. This is astonishing when you think back. Even the World Health Organization was saying, if coronavirus appeared on the death cert as a significant condition, it shouldn't be included in the figures. So why was it being included in the figures? Late 2020 or autumn 2020, September 2020, Dr. Jason Oak or OK, OKE, Dr. Jason OK from the Centre of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford told The Telegraph that many people had been dying with coronavirus but not from it. And he warned The Telegraph that the overcounting would get worse as more and more people tested positive for the virus. How prophetic of him back in September 2020. And amazingly, you've only got to look then at the PCR testing regime itself. And the false positive rate, the PCR test, again, the World Health Organization warned people who were using the PCR tests not to amplify the swab samples too many times. Again, this is amazing, right? I don't know why the World Health Organization staff weren't speaking in in lockstep at the very outset. There was a lot lot of confusion, maybe. Right, they weren't all on the same page. Some World Health Organization officials were warning not to amplify the swab samples too many times, lest you get too many false positives. The advice was not to cycle more than 20 times. Now, the NHS was doing it 40 times. So how many people who died of a car crash or died in a car crash but had tested positive for COVID, were then added to the COVID death numbers. How many of those didn't have COVID in their systems at all because the PCR test was completely unreliable? Amazing, really, isn't it? RichieAllen.co.uk, writing about this and archiving this stuff from day one. And none of this is going to be mentioned, you see. None of it. All of those bodies, Oxford University, funeral directors, MPs, all of those people who said throughout 2020 that the COVID death figures were wrong, all of this stuff has basically been thrown to, I don't know, thrown in a bin. It never gets mentioned again. It was never mentioned on the broadcast media. I used to lament back in 2020. Oh, look, an Oxford scientist is claiming that the death numbers are far too high. Wouldn't it be great if the broadcast media picked up on it? But of course, the broadcast media never picked up on it. It was ignored. 
and they're talking to COVID-bereaved families for justice people who are standing outside the inquiry today holding photographs of their loved ones, you know, crying and saying, we want justice for our loved ones. They died of COVID and, and they shouldn't have died. They should have been protected. Maybe they didn't die of COVID at all. Do they even know? Anyway, speaking of coronavirus, there is an Egypt in Ireland who is still at large. His name is Luke O'Neill from Trinity College in Dublin. He appeared on the Pat Kenny News Talk programme this morning and, as usual, vaudeville. Well, now I'm joined in studio, back from his many travels, by Professor Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. You've been here, there and yon um, and big immunological conferences. That's right, yeah. uh, And lots of great news, as you reported for us. But uh, maybe a little bit of bad news, there's a bit of a surge in COVID in China. There is, yes. Now, the, the, the conference in Canada, a third of the talks were still on COVID, remember. Us immunologists haven't forgotten it. It's still yeah. a huge amount of research happening, you know. And big news from China, massive surge happening at the moment. They're in the middle of this huge amount of cases going through the roof, basically, you know. And of course, as you may remember, they reopened in December. And then that was a pretty unvaccinated population, maybe 50, 60% vaccination, spread like wildfire all through China. They reckon 85% of the people of China got infected within a couple of months kind of time frame, you know, simply because it spread like wildfire. Uh, the reason is it's the, the Kraken variant, but have you heard of it? <laughs> Uh, the reason so many people got infected, Pat, is because of the Kraken variant. Variant, even have you heard of the Kraken variant? Have you? No. Have so it's called XBB one point five. Is the latest variant of COVID. It's given the nickname Kraken for some reason. Very infectious. It'll spread really, really rapidly. Uh, but the good, the good news actually is that it doesn't cause any more severe disease. Our fear would be a new variant would arise that would give rise to more severe disease. Yeah. Our fear would be that a more severe variant would arise, giving rise to more severe diseases. Luke. Luke O'Neill. This one doesn't do that, but it just spreads very rapidly. They're talking about 60 million people a week getting infected, Pat, in China. Pat Pat Kenny, the presenter, and his producers, they must have no balls whatsoever. None. Balls must be missing. They must have been emasculated. Somebody must have chopped off their Learodi. How could you allow a bullshitter like Luke O'Neill come on your radio programme and start dropping bullshit bombs about crack and variants in China? How could you allow it? Have you no pride, man? I've said this too many times, haven't I, during the course of the past three years. You know, I value my radio show. I take a little bit of pride in it. I'm not going to allow somebody come on the air to start telling lies. Just not going to have it. This is my parish, you know. Tell your lies somewhere else. You ain't going to lie on my programme. This bullshitter comes on and starts talking about crack invariants and China and we have to be worried and eventually he goes on to talk about avian flu. A number. 60 million yeah, per every week, single every week. week. Yeah, new infections. But not getting terribly sick. No, because because again, they've either been back... Get the, Wait for this. Why are the Chinese not getting terribly sick from the crack invariant? This, Pat. They pushed very hard for vaccination in the past six months or so. 90% of the Chinese are now vaccinated, which is a great number to... Re- Do we believe that? That 90% of the Chinese population, which is... 90% will be over a billion, won't it? Do we believe that over a billion Chinese have had the, the jab? Now, China is a bit of a basket case of a country. It's hardly a free country, right? So what do we think? Reach. They're very organised, yeah. obviously. Yeah, you see. And, and the, you know, the, we have ways of well, that kind of making thing. you yeah. take well, your... The, the presenter, we have ways. <laughs> so Kenny is implying that the Chinese were heavily coerced into submitting to the jabs. Were they? It's hard to know, really, with China. I, strangely enough, don't have any contacts in China where you could ask them, hey, listen, what do you think about 95% coverage from 
COVID nine or coverage of COVID nineteen jabs. We just don't know, do we? Vaccination. And, and people were scared, I think, as well. They they turned yeah. up for their vaccines. Ninety ninety percent is a huge number to achieve. And again, that that's ninety percent. Did I say ninety five percent? I need to listen a bit better. Who knows? I don't know. Do you know? Drop me a message, richieallen.co.uk. Use the app. Use the app. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Did you see this today? I I posted about this on richieallen.co.uk, so I did almost a quarter of the UK population. It is claimed that almost a quarter of the population believes that COVID-19 was either probably or definitely a hoax. That's a new poll a new poll, and around one-third of the population of the UK believes that the cost-of-living crisis is a government plot to control us all. Now, apparently, around a third, so similar numbers, believe that 15-minute cities are a government plot to monitor everyone, and that the Great Replacement Theory, the idea that white people are being replaced with minorities... Uh, that's a real agenda. So again, about 30 to 33% say, yeah, the Great Replacement Theory is a real thing. So where's this coming from? Well, it's a survey which happened in April and it was carried out by Savanta for King's College London and the BBC. Yes. And it found that beliefs were shared through social media, most commonly through YouTube and Facebook, and fueled by conspiracy websites. And The Light, the newspaper entitled The Light, which we talked about yesterday, gets a mention. Again, they also mention Breitbart, which at one time was run by Steve Bannon. So they're blaming a few websites. So one in seven people, around about six million adults, believe that violence is a fair response to some alleged conspiracies. That's according to this poll that one in seven say that violence would be fair in dealing with some of these conspiracies and the conspirators. Now, the general public, according to The Guardian, underestimates the number of conspiracy theorists by approximately four million adults. And the researchers said they were shocked at the attitudes of the people they spoke to when they were carrying out this poll. Wow. So you can see where this is going, right? This is, again, as I mentioned yesterday, not to dwell too much on it, this is about online harms. This is about taking control of what can and cannot be discussed on the internet. It's as simple as that. I can't sugarcoat it. I cannot make it sound any sexier. It is about eventually preventing me and you, because it ain't about me. It's preventing you and me speaking about these things. I'm going to have a conversation with Stoney Gosling in a moment. We might talk Nottingham. We might talk about the attack which took place in Nottingham earlier on. We might talk about 15-minute cities. I don't know. I've got Kate Chemerani on later on. We might talk about vaccine harms. But that's supposed to come to an end, you see. And what we're seeing now the coverage we are seeing now of the independent media, of independent content creators, is basically laying the groundwork. It's putting in the foundation, the cement, for the ultimate attack on free speech, which will be to prevent people like me and you and others having conversations about what's going on on this planet and why it's going on and where it's all leading, that must come to an end. And no surprise that James O'Brien, LBC's resident Muppet, 
had something to say today about conspiracy theorists. What did he have to say? Anything new? Why do people want to believe this stuff? But we don't want to believe it, you see. I'd rather I, I didn't believe it. Life is far much, life is far easier and bearable and tolerable when you don't know what's going on and why it's going on. People don't choose to believe the things we believe. We believe them because they're happening in front of our eyes. And you cannot deny what is happening in front of your eyes. Your eyes are not deceiving you. This stuff is going on. So it's not a case of wanting to believe it. I mean, have a look at our government. Right. I love this. So now he's going to engage in the, look at that incompetent bunch of clowns in Westminster. These conspiracy theorists are crazy. They can't surely believe that Nadine Dorries and Oliver Dowden and Pretty Patel and that goon Boris Johnson, they, they surely can't believe these conspiracy theorists that these people are clever enough to, uh, you know, to, to dramatically or drastically alter society and change the way we live. Just have a quick look now. Have a look at a government that can put, for example, Nadine Dorries in a senior government position. Searching. Jacob Rees-Mogg in a senior government position. He really hates Jacob Rees-Mogg because a couple of years ago he had Mogg on his programme to debate Brexit, the rights and wrongs of it, and Mogg wiped the floor with O'Brien. As bad as Jacob Rees-Mogg is, as awful and as odious as he is, he annihilated O'Brien. It was absolutely comical. You can watch it on YouTube if you don't believe me, but that's the reason why Mog gets mentioned quite a lot on... He's living rent-free in James O'Brien's head because he took him to the cleaners in a debate about Brexit. Grant Shapps in a senior government position. The idea that these people could undertake a massive secret plan. Yeah, they're goons, James, of course. So you say the idea that they could enact some secret plan to take control of our lives is laughable because they are goons. Yeah. You might also say it's laughable that the richest people on planet Earth, the oligarchs, if you want to call them that, the globalists, you might equally argue that it's laughable that they would put people like Boris Johnson and Leo Varadkar and Emmanuel Macron in charge. But they do put them in charge, or at least they create the illusion that they are in charge. You might also wonder why, why that is, but, but no, O'Brien doesn't want to make the leap. To robbers of our rights and freedoms without us noticing is absolutely ridiculous. Where has that bearded dickhead been for the last three years? What has happened under the watch or on the watch of the current Tory government has been a pilfering, a larceny of our rights and our freedoms. Is he fucking stupid or is he just being willfully obtuse? Answers on a postcard. Yes. I mean, if we were governed by Vladimir Putin... Oh, Christ. ...then perhaps you could give credence to the idea that government surveillance or... Well, you could give a lot of credence to the idea that government surveillance or, um, or the Great Reset, whatever... They falsified because they were told to. COVID death figures. I have just proven that on this programme again using, of course, the research of preeminent scientists at Oxford. They falsify death numbers to justify locking society down, keeping children out of school, 
terrorizing people, wrecking the economy, ruining people's businesses. They implied heavily that if people didn't have dangerous, unproven and untested medicines, that those people would lose their jobs. People duly went and took those medicines. Many of them are fucking dead now. And you could go on the radio at 10 o'clock of a morning on a Monday and start making light of the fact that conspiracy theorists are a bit silly and a bit stupid because they believe that people like Boris Johnson is clever enough to to enact an agenda that sees dystopia, that sees totalitarianism, that sees the robbing of our rights and freedoms. You know, I could spend 20 minutes going over the rights and the freedoms that were lost in the last three years. And this guy says, why do conspiracy theorists want to believe this stuff? You know, I don't do silliness. I don't do grandstanding. I certainly don't do game playing. But um, I might offer James O'Brien out. Do you know that? He's quite a few years younger than me. I might offer him out. A charity boxing match, I don't know. We'll do it for, for something he likes. Maybe migrants or something. Let's do it. I'd love to spend a couple of minutes alone with James O'Brien. I really would. And I've never been a bully. I've never been a thug. But I would like to lay hands on him. In a controlled environment. With big spongy old boxing gloves for charity. I'd love it. You know. Because this guy can't be as stupid as he makes himself out to be. The time is 25 minutes past the hour. Tony Gosling is standing by. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen show. It was Tuesday earlier too. Yeah, I get it. I'm Richie Allen. Kate Chimerani joins the programme a bit later on. I'm looking forward to that. But it's Tony first up. It's uh, 25 and a half minutes past the hour. Keep the messages coming in via the website and via the Richie Allen show app. This is Elastica. Music from Elastica. That's Connection on the Richie Allen show. It is uh, Tuesday's programme, the 13th of June, 2023. So then, two university students among the dead in Nottingham. Have you been following the story today? A 31-year-old has been arrested on suspicion of murder following three deaths in Nottingham in the early hours of this morning. It's getting blanket coverage by the 24-hour news channels here in the UK. What's going on there? I don't know. We'll talk about that and more with my first guest this afternoon. No stranger whatsoever to you. The man behind the BC, excuse me, the not the BCFM politics show in Bristol, live every Friday at 5pm, thisweek.org.uk, former BBC journalist, our friend, Tony Gosling. Welcome, Tony. Welcome back. Oh, thanks, Richie. Well, it's interesting how you can have so much coverage of a story where they don't tell you anything. Nothing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've missed um, this, if the police have given a proper press conference where they're actually telling uh, the people that pay their wages um, what's going on. Uh, you know, this this has all day been in the news. I think it's since about 8am or something this morning. And yet all they're saying is the police won't say anything. Instead, what they're saying is anyone that's seen anything come to the police. Now, I mean, this isn't the ordinary uh, Nottinghamshire constabulary. This is the anti-terror police who've swooped. Uh, on Nottingham. And personally, I wouldn't advise telling the anti-terror police anything, uh, because in the past, what we've seen is uh, with the um, the terrorist attacks in London and the run-up to the uh, 2017 election, particularly with lots of them, uh, and including the Manchester Arena bombing, all of the people involved in these, uh, at least the major so-called ringleaders, are people that had already been reported to the anti-terror uh, police, uh, to the MI5's anti-terrorist hotline. 
Uh, and so by it seems, I mean, this is a perverse situation we're in, but it seems that by, by reporting people to that hotline, that those people have somehow been transformed into terrorists and, and maniacs. Uh, and or, or whether they were actually responsible for those attacks or not, we're not entirely sure. But certainly maybe you know, by the, by the um, security services uh, steered into doing something like that. So I wouldn't be talking to the anti-terrorist police at all. I'd be talking to the ordinary Nottinghamshire police, fine, and I'd be talking to the press. Uh, but you know that that and, and this is this is part of becoming a developing pattern in the behaviour of the police, Richie. And we had the Nicola Bully case where they weren't telling us anything about what had happened there. And um, then uh, then there was the Bournemouth incident a couple of weeks ago with these teenagers. The police wouldn't say anything about what's happening. What, what they're doing is they're creating the perfect um, sort of scenario here for criminals to be killing people of in one sort or another and and then for the police to be finding out using the um you know that the the police come and talk to us uh, period maybe a day or a couple of days after the incident to find out what people know uh before saying um to the public what uh, they think is going on so i mean i just don't trust the the uh, anti-terrorist cops up in nottingham at all uh, about what's been going on today and I, I don't know if there has been a conference and they've been telling all uh, you know the motives and that sort of thing what they think the motives are etc i mean obviously people in nottingham deserve to know this yeah they're not saying anything really about what happened other than somebody is in hospital in a critical condition two more are believed to have suffered minor injuries a 31 year old man is in custody but you know when 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 you've got that kind of vacuum of information when you've not got any information at all it um, gives rise of course to people kind of concluding for themselves what what happened so so there's an well, anti and there's an anti-migrant thing I suppose going on on social media now, where people are well, saying, "Well, there could be all sorts of all sorts yeah. of speculation is bound to happen," and the police seem seem to revel in this. Uh, and so, you know, th this is this is where we need, I think, to be looking at social media and that sort of thing to see what people are saying about it. I mean, I just don't trust the police's attitude up there. This is this is part of um, the police clearly don't trust the public. I mean, one of the things that happens straight away is it should happen in a situation like this, is the police are putting out a, a call for evidence, but they don't just say, we want to see anybody that's seen anything. If, the, if you're not telling people what's gone on, people don't won't necessarily see the significance. Maybe they saw something suspicious last night. Um, and if you don't explain what's been going on, whether this is drug related or what, it sounds like it might well be, um, you, you're not you're not actually true it's a bit, little bit like the whole Wayne Cousins business where uh, you know he's he's um, exposing himself in some takeaway somewhere and yet nothing happens about it uh, and you know I don't like the way that the police generally these days particularly the central Scotland Yard control cops uh, and by the way Cousins was part of the same um, branch of the police, this, which is a separate branch, the anti-terror branch is part of it as, as well, um, and in, in the, as part of the Metropolitan Police that come and sweep. They, for example, you know, also in Wiltshire, when they had the Scripal case, suddenly these anti-terrorist police come down from London and take over the entire investigation. We might have lost oh, you're back, you're totally back. sidelined. So these. We lost you momentarily. We, we lost you momentarily, but only for a second. You're back now. 
No, this, this, this is really saying, good, yeah. I was just saying in Salisbury, a similar thing happened. The anti-terror cops come. So, look, I mean, this is not proper policing, and these police are not serving the public. Uh, whatever they're up to, they should be telling people as much as will help find whoever the culprits are. And they can't just try, try and pretend they don't know anything about it. They clearly do. The same attitude is exactly the same attitude from the journalists. They're all saying, oh, we mustn't speculate. Well, if the police are not telling you anything, then you should be complaining about that to them, to the public, and, and of course, speculating. There's nothing wrong with speculating in that sort of situation you say well we think it might be this one of the neighbors has said that you know whatever that's the journalist's job but it's almost like there's self-censorship going on the journalists don't even want to speculate as to what might be going on they don't want to inform the public anymore listen we're paying all these people's wages uh, and yet we're not being told what's happening and so that i really object to and i find this is a it's a sort of turnaround it's a zero trust agenda the police do not trust the public so why should the public trust the police Good stuff. Tony Gosling is our guest. We'll leave that story for now. Here's a big story, right? So King's College in London and the BBC has conducted a poll. They surveyed thousands of people in April and they found that almost a quarter of the population believes that COVID-19 was probably or definitely a hoax. About a third of the population believes the cost of living crisis is a plot to control the public. And what's interesting about this is in The Guardian today, uh, they, they referenced the... Mariana Spring, BBC attack really, you, you could only describe it as an attack on the, the, the newspaper which is known as The Light and when you look at this and you read this article and they describe um, The Guardian today, they, they describe those who conducted the poll as being shocked by the attitudes of UK citizens and how worrying it is that people believe mm. this stuff. To me this is something we've been talking about for a long time this is really now the ramping up of, I suppose, an agenda to eventually end or, or control the independent media, isn't it? It's ultimately to stop people doing what we're doing now. Well, yes, it is. Uh, but, I mean, I was a, um, I have to declare an interest here, I was for about a year or 18 months one of the moderators on the Lights Telegram channel. And uh, six weeks before Bilderberg, uh, I was making some points to the other moderators about uh, Richard D. Hall's, um, you know, peddling his ideas that the Manchester Arena bomb didn't happen and that the families of the victims were actually part of a giant hoax and that they didn't lose their loved ones and this sort of thing. And I was saying, well, is this really why to be peddling this kind of thing? And I was just, <clears throat> by Darren and his sidekicks, just ceremoniously, unceremoniously booted off the channel. So, you know, I'm trying to do my job as a... a but, I mean, the point of it all is that all journalists should be fact-checkers. Uh, and we learned from the BBC something to do with weapons of mass destruction in Iraq that were used to start an illegal war there. So the BBC, the first thing they should job people they should be looking at is themselves. There's a brilliant article by Jonathan Cook. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Um, on Middle East Eye and various other places where it talks about the BBC are not stopping disinformation, they're peddling it. And that's exactly the case. That what's happened is there's been a massive fall away in trust with the mainstream press generally, the BBC in particular, my glorious old employers. And as that trust has fallen away, they're thinking, what do we do about it? Do we start telling the truth? No. What we'll do is we'll set up a unit um, with people affiliated with Paul Mason and MI5 and the Integrity Initiative, and that unit will be used to either attack people who do tell the truth or else to uh, try and justify and beef up uh, BBC lies. So this is a you know very Orwellian organisation. Actually, one thing I will positive I will say about them is the the the, the Kherson is it Kherson Dam, where they. Um, 
I'm not sure what the name of the dam was actually. Uh, Karkovka, maybe. Um, yeah, Karkovka. That was blown up last week. The BBC Verified did a really good job. They showed a satellite photo from the Thursday before saying, well, obviously this was hit by some artillery shell or something on the Thursday before, and it made a little hole in the dam. And six days and over the weekend, the dam was getting worse and worse as the water was going through it. It was sweeping away more and more masonry from the dam. And so when the story broke last Tuesday, uh, actually, it, <laughs> the dam had already been being swept away for six days or five days. Yeah, but uh, since then, so, the BBC is blaming. You know, they were making it, it only it, just happened. And, and, and that, that sounds like good journalism to obtain yeah, a satellite photograph. But, but at the same time, since then, without seemingly without any proof whatsoever, the BBC is laying the blame for the breach of the dam squarely at the door of Russia without giving any yeah. tangible evidence to prove that. No, exactly. And of course, it wasn't the Russians, it was the Ukrainians, uh, because we know that for various reasons. The main reason is they need to distract away from their totally failed. I'm not sure if you've seen the, uh, you know, their so-called offensive where the kill ratio, which is where what this, these things come down to is something like 40 to one. So 40 Ukrainians dying for every one Russian. They've lost a load of their tanks that they've been handed by NATO, which are these kind of past their sell by date tanks, which, uh, you know, used to really what nato is doing is it's using the ukrainians as live bait to see how uh, and why or what, what equipment the russians use to fight wars nowadays and i mean it's totally utterly disgusting the other reason by the way is that this dam breach the the russians had warned about it a long time ago saying well look we are moving forward we believe that the um the uh, ukrainians and this is months and months ago will will just uh, breach this dam in order to stop our advance um because it's on the front line this river so uh, you know it's pretty obvious who did it also the other thing which was an absolute red flag for me is on the bbc the morning it was announced last tuesday they had a um a guy popped up on the TV I haven't seen for a long time called Andre Perubi. Um, sorry, no, Yatsenyuk, it was his name. Oh, Yatsenyuk. And Yatsenyuk, yeah. Yatsenyuk is uh, one of the main coup plotters uh, from 2014. She was Victoria uh, Newland's man, very... wasn't she? She was Victoria yeah. Newland's choice. Yeah. yeah. Yats is the we man. We want Yats. Yeah. Yats is our man, you know. So that's the, the guy that the Americans forced the Europeans to have as the prime minister after the coup. And uh, so and he's so he's uh, totally untrue. I mean, CIA, basically. It was a CIA coup, uh, State Department CIA coup, and he was one of their main coup plotters. So the idea that anyone would want to trust, I mean, BBC Verify should maybe check him out. I, I, I want to take you back to something. I, I couldn't bring you back to it because you were in a good flow and I didn't want to stop you. But just to be right. fair to Darren Nesbitt and anybody working at the light, they might have a different take on why you um, were excluded from moderating the light paper and they're not here to defend themselves right you said that you were unceremoniously yeah. booted off but they're not here to say yeah. why that happened now I love you you know that I think you're fantastic I certainly wouldn't be booting you off my website but they might they might have some they might have some other explanation as to why that did happen I just want to point that out for yeah, it was over, the, it was over Richard D. Hall I mean I was saying look we should not necessarily be promoting this guy who is causing you know it seemed to me anyway causing immense cruelty to the families of the victims of manchester arena by peddling this idea that the that nobody died that the that the yeah. people who supposedly died were just crisis actors i think this is actually something you've got to have incredibly good 
hard evidence for that, absolutely 100% solid evidence before you even go to the families and ask them and see if the people are alive no, and I if agree they're still you, hiding right? somewhere. I, I agree with you. you know, You're a journalist. I'm a journalist. But maybe this guy, Richard D. Hall, was convinced that it was a crisis actor event and maybe Darren Nesbitt and the light paper people, if they were here, they would say, um, Tony, we provide on our forums an open, uh, a completely open source place where people can discuss anything. We don't yeah. want to be shutting down anything. Well, however, they however, they I would agree with they you. They weren't providing me hold. with the space to say that, were they? Right. Okay, but yeah. they might say so it's something. It's not an open forum at no, all. They might say, look, uh, it's about something else entirely, but I hear you. And on that, I'm in complete agreement with One you. One other thing, let me just say about the lie, is they published an article in February, which I, you know, I again, I questioned. I said, well, this is, it was a big article saying nuclear weapons don't exist. And uh, the, 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 the attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were actually faked. And that it wasn't nuclear weapons at all. And, you know, and I questioned that one too. I'm saying, so I think, I mean, they served a fantastic purpose during the pandemic. The, the lie were brilliant, but I just think they've lost their way now. Yeah, others might say it's brilliant and it's doing a great job because it's going in the letterboxes of people that have never heard of Tony well, it's, Gosling it's or Richie Allen. It's become just like the mainstream press. It's become just like the mainstream press. So in other words, it's got some anyway, look, let's not, let, let's nonsense not, in it. Let's not have yeah. a debate about the content of the light because I, yeah. I don't really see it very often. And uh, um, th- I suppose the whole point really was the BBC going after it and going after others. It's going to be a sign of things to come. It's ultimately the... If there is such a thing as the independent media, it's the independent media it wants rid of. Tony Gosling is our guest. The Not the BCFM Politics Show, Fridays at 5 o'clock, is unmissable. For more information on it, check out thisweek.org.uk. You are listening to my pal Tony Gosling. Tell us this tea. So the COVID inquiry today began to hear from yeah. Selena Hallett, isn't it, from uh, the KCs, the, the King's Councils, a public hearing for the first time hearing witnesses. Look, it screams of whitewash to me. That's bloody obvious, yeah. isn't it? What do you think? Well, absolutely right. I mean, you know, the way these, I mean, I, I think it was the brilliant documentary about the 7-7 London bombings uh, entitled Ludicrous Diversions, which came out, I think it was actually less than six months after the London bombing attack. They pointed out, there's a whole section in that documentary that pointed out the uh, Inquiries Act uh, in uh, after 2000. I think it was just not long after 9-11 they brought it in, which meant that the public inquiries were no longer controlled by the judiciary that the ministers would appoint judges and also set the terms of reference of inquiries in future it wasn't independent of government so we've got a serious problem with all of our inquiries now and we have have had ever since then obviously they did that in the um, run-up to the inquiry about 7-7 by the way there was no public inquiry into 7-7 they just issued something called the narrative so all these things are now government controlled which they shouldn't be they should be um, controlled by the judiciary or judges independently we see we saw the same with the uh, vip defile inquiry uh, in fact uh, the new zealand lady whose name slips my memory who was appointed to lead that actually left because she said i can't have the home office appointing uh, people to to be all my my uh, senior 
council on this inquiry when actually the Home Office itself is implicated in paedophilia. Uh, so, you know, in many ways, actually, the Home Office has. I mean, we had Leon Britton, for example, Home Secretary, who was accused as part of the inquiry so as a VIP defile. So, uh, so th this thing needs to cert certainly to look at the follow the money business, that is to say, the Tory party and people in the Tory party, like one of our neighbours in Stroud, somewhere, someone who lives near, near us, um, went um, managed to get a contract for PPE, then he sold his house and bought a farm. These were all great little favours done, and he, by the way, was one in the uh, Stroud Freemason, one of the masters of the top lodges in Stroud. Uh, and the Tory party did this with a lot of its friends, is it enabled them to have um, contracts uh, to produce all this stuff. So that's obviously one of the things that the inquiry should be looking into, but mainly things like the um, the shifting of everyone, all these people from hospitals uh, um, into, uh, into care homes and vice versa. The moving, movement of people backwards and forwards from care home to hospital always should be accompanied by by um, a COVID test. They should have been, you know, and there were COVID tests around quite near the beginning, not so many, but they should have been not moved unless they were uh, tested negative for COVID. Oh, that's obvious. But do you know, but do you know what, Tony? Done. Do you know what? Even if they were testing people, the tests themselves were proven to be completely unreliable because rather than amplify the cycles 20 times, they were amplifying them 40 No, I agree. Times. No, I agree. Yeah. But the tests were, uh, the tests were very... Uh, Shall we, uh, I don't know, like exaggerated. So if you, you if you had COVID, you definitely test positive, uh, and so you know that that would have been a reason not to move you. You know what I mean? So at least some sort of test to see if the person, or maybe maybe even just uh, testing their temperature, something like that. You know, and they, this was not done. And um, these are the basics basics of all of this. Uh, also, the, um, the, uh, the 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 restrictions which were put on the press, they should be looking at that straight away. They should be looking at um, you know the, the the WhatsApp messages of Matt Hancock quite definitely. But it's fascinating the way this has been used against Boris Johnson, uh, who you know is a pro Brexit. Uh, Prime Minister who won a massive great majority to actually force him out of the House of Commons. I think that's incredible, you know, that, that they've used this to actually kick out Boris and now the Tory party don't stand a chance in next year's general election. We're almost certainly going to have uh, David Lammy as our Foreign Secretary and Keir Starmer as our, as our um, Prime Minister. But isn't and, this just, and I don't think um, the Tory party really care. But isn't this just manipulation by, by, by other people? I mean, we know that, you and I both know, we've known for many years, that it doesn't matter who the Prime Minister is. And what we're seeing at the moment is basically theatre to engage the masses in this drama, this never-ending drama, Boris mm. Johnson and Rishi Sunak, while, <clears throat> I agree with you, while they are preparing, by they we mean whoever's really controlling this shit show, they're prepared now to anoint Keir Starmer as the next Prime Minister, whereby the Green Agenda will take off on steroids and, and everything else yeah. you said. So, you know, we, we can hardly feel sorry for Boris Johnson, right? He's a player, he knows the score, right? Well, I don't look. I don't feel sorry for the guy, but I do recognise that he was a genuine Brexiteer. Maybe he wasn't to start with, but he became one, and he actually forced this through Parliament. And there was a massive, massive lobby on all sides of Parliament that was trying to stop the idea of Brexit actually being implemented. I mean, what this did is it showed us just what contempt these people have 
in Parliament for what the British people want. We don't want to be ruled by Brussels, which is this technocratic bureaucracy where you elect a load of MEPs that all they can do is just, it's just a talking shop. They can't make any laws. Uh, and it's far away. You know, they're controlling many of our laws and our policies. And if you want to cede your sovereignty to a technocratic elite, that's the way to do it. But Boris was saying, no, the people, the people voted against that. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to actually start running this country from Westminster again, which is a genuine parliament. No, he's the ones to pick elect your... MPs. Yeah. They are the ones that actually make make laws. Uh, you know, or they can do so. No, I mean he was. He's there. Is, there is a difference. There's a very big difference between um, Starmer and and uh, Sunak. That is the uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, City of London, if you want, international technocratic elite, deep state players, and the Mavericks like. Johnson became and you know your people like Andrew Bridge and all these people I mean I think Johnson would have been watching the way that that, that Sunak has begun cancelling MPs like Bridget and thinking well you know uh, I think we need to start a new party yeah but Johnson was in charge in March 2020 when the first lockdown was imposed on the country you know what 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 if anything did Boris Johnson do well, was he bamboozled into it? I mean, you know, I'm tr I, I, I don't really I know want you're to being try the and defend Boris, yeah, you know, know that, but, yeah. but there is a, he, he represented a Brexit faction, a Brexiteer faction, which has been slowly squeezed out. I think I, maybe I mentioned this to you before, but there's this guy, Carl von Habsburg, who during 2018, I think, or 2019, after the Brexit vote, was saying, he's a, you know, an aristocratic uh, Hungarian, I think, or Austrian, uh, he's saying it's this is hilarious. We're watching the Brits try to leave, and we know they can't leave because we've got too much power and too much control. It's like watching a reality TV show, uh, and that article I retweeted it the other day. I think it's, you know these people have got such cheek and chutzpah. They really do believe because they've got so much wealth that they own Europe. They own the you know hundreds of millions of Europeans, and they can tell us exactly what to do. No, I think we need to have you know, individual national sovereignty to fight back against that. And it's one of the the big things that the Bilderbergers, uh, which is, you know, I was over in Lisbon recently, you were chatting to me, hate the idea of, of people uh, actually retaining their sovereignty. They're creating a United States of Europe and nothing's going to stand in their way. And Boris was standing in their way. And that's why I think Sunak has made sure that he's out of Parliament now. And, and this kind of, for me, this takes us back to um, a concerted effort on behalf of those who are really calling the shots to come after the independent media. So at the moment we're seeing these articles popping up about I mean we saw these throughout 2020 you, you, were, you were given a dozen mentions or more in the national media so was this particular programme because we were interviewing people saying that lockdowns were unnecessary and that the vaccines might very well be you know, dangerous and, and, and unproven and untried. So we're seeing this again. So how do you think this is going to play out then? Do you think that we will see, following the, following the passing of the online safety bill, will the independent oh, media be regulated by Ofcom? Is that how it's going to work? Will Ofcom take? I mean, we're already seeing it, aren't we? Yeah. I think we're already seeing it, Richie. The big people are being people who are telling the truth, uh, and have got the references to back it up, and the readership are being picked off one by one. Uh, so slowly, I mean, you know, simple things like um, me being removed by Patrick Hart from, who's a mate of our marvelous uh, Marvin the Mayor in Bristol, uh, off of FM in Bristol. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago. We saw Kit Clarenberg being arrested at Luton Airport on 
the way back saying they believed he was a spy for Russia. You know, he's uh, one of the best reporters at, at the Grey Zone UK, uh, works very closely with Max Blumenthal and is one of the m most effective uh, diggers into the case for Julian Assange, etc. So <clears throat> it's political policing. And, and I think that's partly why Mariana Spring and Erdogan have set up this is to try and take down uh, effective uh, alternative media one by one. I think you know they, they're looking at whoever's getting the most hits, whoever's uh, embarrassing them the most, and they are they're being being lined up like uh, at the at the fall of Rome. You know, one by one, their opposition are being assassinated. At least, hopefully, uh, only character assassinated and having their websites taken down and being arrested. But uh, you know, the idea is to harry and harass anybody that's exposing this you know unbelievable lying system, which is trying to get Britain to, to start a third world war with Russia over what? A bunch of Nazis in Ukraine. Tony, I'll let you get back to your tea. There's a breaking news story out of Ireland I need to cover. It's about uh, an Irish entertainer called Christy Dignan. And it's obviously incredibly noisy there where you are anyway. So, listen, thanks for today. Yeah, of, sorry, there's a bit of banging going on in the background. One final thing I'd like to say, though, Richie, is Go ahead. just, just on, on, on the Wikispooks site, there's a fantastic new section on Bilderberg. For anyone who's a follower of the uh, this Nazi organisation set up to run the politics in the NATO countries after World War II, uh, which is all about um, the people who've been died, died suspiciously at Bilderberg. Over 50 Bilderbergers have died suspiciously over the years, including a prime minister and one of the people on the steering committee who was saying the wrong thing about uh, getting on with Russia. So quite nice. clearly, the Bilderberg is part of NATO. It's a political wing of NATO, and it's making sure that they keep the Russians out of Europe, the Americans into Europe, and keep the Germans down, as was illustrated with the blowing up by the Bilderbergers uh, from the 2022 meeting. People who were there were involved in it all, Seymour Hirsch said, um, but, but keep the Germans down and, uh, you know, just to separate them from Russia anyway. I'll let you get on with your show, Richie. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for being on, Tony. The Friday, five o'clock Friday, not the BCFM politics show, live from Bristol, thisweek.org.uk. Check out Bilderberg.org for all you need to know on the Bilderberg group. Great to hear from you again, T. Thanks. Speak next time. Cheers, Bye for sir. now. Thanks. Tony Gosling, live on Tuesdays. I have to think about that. It is Tuesday, Dean Stagg. Um, yeah. yeah, I booked the time slot. We could only fit him in today because... Um, yet yeah, other things happening later on in the programme. Let me just mention this. This will mean, I suppose, more, not exclusively, but it'll mean more to Irish listeners to the programme than, than maybe others in other parts of the world. Uh, Christy Dignam has passed away, uh, the frontman or the former frontman of the rock band Aslan. He's been unwell for some time. He was 63. Um, he died today. He entered palliative care, according to the National Broadcaster, RTE, in January. And he's, he has been cared for at home by his family in recent months. Um, if you love your music, you love Christy Dignam. Uh, he grew up in Finglas on the north side of Dublin, began playing music in the 1970s, formed Aslan, had a huge hit with a, with a, a song called This Is, their debut single. And they were signed immediately to EMI Records in the mid-1980s, right? There was huge interest in Ireland on the part of international record companies. So they recorded a debut album called Feel No Shame. It was critically acclaimed. It was fantastic. A brilliant singer, Christy Dignan. But he had his problems. He had his demons. Partly because he was sexually abused as a child. Um, he was into drugs 
and that ultimately led to the breakup of the band while the band was on the verge of international superstardom. Right, heroin was his drug of choice. I think if you know anything about heroin or anybody who was ever addicted to heroin, you'll know how serious and how deadly that is. But he managed to get into recovery. He tried everything. He went to a Buddhist monastery in Thailand, would you believe, um, where he managed to uh, clean up. But when he came out of that, he went back to drugs again. But he never gave up and he went back in and out of treatment until eventually he was able to maintain sobriety. People will remember him playing with Conor Goff as part of the duo Dignam and Goff. Again, an act that I would have seen a dozen or more times when I was in my mid to late teens. Aslan got back together eventually. They had big hits with songs like Crazy World. They had an amazing, a kind of a seminal performance at Vicar Street in Dublin, which is recorded for a live album and live DVD, which was utterly amazing. Christy Dignam, huge part of my teenage years, an amazing singer, an amazing character. And anybody who ever met him along the road will tell you he was a gentleman. Always very forthcoming about his struggles with addiction, generous with his time, a ridiculous talent. I mean, ridiculous talent. I'm going to play this song um, for you. Their first single, their first major hit. It said, this is for Christy Dignam, who passed away today, aged 63. And the world is not a better place for his departure, in my opinion. Aslan, this is on the Richie Allen Show, remembering Christy Dignam who passed away today, age 63. And anybody who ever saw him perform live will never forget him. Uh, thanks to Richard, Kelly, R.I.P. Christy, Jonathan Stone, the same, R.I.P. Christy Dignam. Jean Ann Crowley was in touch with me earlier on, uh, after just after the programme began. Jean Ann would be a friend of Bernie who would have been Christie's sister, and she was looking after him in recent months. So, yeah, great Irishman. And that's um, all I can really say about that. I'm glad that I saw him and met him once or twice over the years. The time is coming up for two minutes past the air. Lot of chat on Richard D. Hall. Look, remember one thing and one thing only. Programmes like this one, monologues, I don't bloody well know, video channels... They're, they're about opinions and nothing more, nothing less. I don't believe that Tony Gosling knows Richard D. Hall personally. I never met Richard D. Hall, ever. I heard from him about six years ago. He reached out to ask me for a contact for David Icke. I reached out to ask David was it okay to pass on his details and that is the only interaction I ever had with Richard D. Hall. He wasn't anybody who interested me really. You know, as a researcher, my take on what happened five years ago or six years ago in Manchester is simple. I lived literally, I hate that literally bullshit, I hate it. I lived across the street from a woman who worked at the Royal Infirmary. And she treated people who were brought into the infirmary that evening. Something happened at the arena on the 22nd of May, 19, excuse me, 19, 19, uh, 2017. Something happened. And people were very badly injured. And some people were killed. Now you can discuss what happened and why later on. We know that the story around Salman Abedi, the man who they said did it, the man who they blamed for it. We know that story is very suspect, very dodgy. Why? Because David Shaler reached out to this programme not long after it and was able to reveal to me that during his days at MI5, he knew about a guy called Agent Tunworth, 
who turned out to be Ramadan Abedi, a man who was given money and materials in the 1980s to overthrow Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. What an amazing coincidence that a man who was working with MI6 to overthrow Gaddafi in the 80s and 90s, right? A guy called Ramadan Abedi. What an amazing coincidence that his son would be the man who packed a rucksack with bombs or with a bomb and then headed for the foyer of the arena. Of course it stinks to high heaven, but I can't speculate about it about what did or didn't happen, because I don't know. All I could do at the time was put in the public arena the information given to me by David Shaler, which turned out to be accurate. Not long after David Shaler did the interview with me, The Guardian, would you believe it, mentioned the strange case of Ramadan Abedi and his son, the terrorist bomber. I don't buy the theory that the entire... that the entire story of the arena bombing was fabricated and that there wasn't a bomb and that nobody was killed. I don't buy that. Tough shit, Paddy, if you don't like it. Now, I know you don't mind. I know you don't mind. You're here because you're open-minded. And I believe that people have the right. People should have the right to speculate and to say, well, I don't think it happened. Fair enough. I'm not going to shut those people down. Ever. But I think Richard D. Hall, you know, stalking people and hiding in their bushes and filming them to try and prove that they were lying about being injured, that's a bit shitty, really. Particularly when he discovered that, in fact, they were injured, and that they couldn't go to work, and that their scars were real and genuine. Did Richard D. Hall do the journalistic thing and then go on his channel and say, do you know what, I got that wrong, guys, because I followed some of these people, and it turned out that they had life-changing injuries after all. No, Richard D. Hall didn't do that. Why did he not do that? I can't tell you that because I don't know him. I can only speculate. The speculation would be that he's a bit of a dipstick and a bit of a grifter, right? But I don't know that to be true either. But he did it and he was caught out doing it and there are consequences for doing that. Stalking people and harassing them. Something happened in the arena. I'm convinced of it. You ask me what? Um, People died there. There was an explosion there. Who did it? I have no idea. Do I believe that Salman Abedi did it? Probably not, but I can't prove that. You know, I cannot prove it. I'm going to take another tune while I get Kate Shemarani on the line. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, the 13th of June, 2023. We've got REM on the uh, turntable. There's no turntable. <laughs> there definitely no turntable. Not on this channel. Maybe we ought to get one, eh? Back in three minutes then. What's the frequency can? REM, what's the frequency? Kenneth, eight minutes past six. It is this Tuesday. It is scorch you. I don't think it's as warm as yesterday. This time yesterday, I gave you a beautiful bit of actuality, didn't I? I did. I, I left you listen to the storm. It was raging outside the studio. God, it was. I got into the park, the local park, this morning, and that thunderstorm yesterday, which lasted about two hours, it did a variety of damage to the mostly ash trees in Buell Hill Park in Salford. There were branches and limbs of trees everywhere. It was almost apocalyptic. Let's welcome back to the programme. I'm looking forward to chatting with her again. A former NHS nurse. Say it right. She's a former NHS nurse. These days... 
Uh, she's an internet radio presenter. She co-founded the British Nursing Alliance and is known as the natural nurse in a toxic world. Let's welcome back to the programme, Kate Chemarani. How are you doing, Kate? Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. Tell you the sun is shining in the south. It's in the eighties on my patio. You're very, <laughs> and you're decent. I mean, it's decent of you to come on with the weather being as it is. I thought to myself when I invited you yesterday. I thought, nah, she won't come on because she's a sun lover. You are a sun lover, right? You like a bit of tan. I am, but I had my flamenco class on Monday evenings. <laughs> Fl- flamenco, so as I well. wasn't keeping active. Listen, thanks for coming on. Um. I mean, it's been a mad three years for everybody. You, because, you in particular, because I, I remember you going public very early on and saying, look, I'm an experienced nurse. Some of the things that are happening are terrible. You know, we shouldn't be locking down healthy people to protect vulnerable people. This is all a bit mad. And of course, for doing that, you were kind of kind of thrust into the national spotlight, which is never a great thing for anybody. All of that went on. We're a bit down the road from that now, but today was the first day that the media was invited into the COVID inquiry to to kind of bear witness, to listen to witness testimony. What do you make of the, the COVID inquiry? Do you, I mean, this is not a loaded question. I'm not stupid. I know you're not stupid, but do you hold out any hope at all that the inquiry, no, it, you don't? No, no. The media's, uh, a huge funding by uh, pharmaceuticals and I'm actually interviewing someone soon who was in China now lives in Canada and the Chinese Communist Party paid billions to the media in the West this is just lip service to to let people think that they have some rights all of this will play out and all of the main players in this it's like a script and uh, no I don't think it will do anything I mean, the fact that the media had all the evidence, they had it all. All of the patents are already out there on these COVID shots that are not vaccines, they're bioengineering devices. Um, all of the evidence was already there. People were whistleblowing. They knew the hospitals were empty. The photographs were there. Everything was there. But they still continued with the narrative. This is all just part of the narrative that will play out. You know, people being allowed to say that, you know, about their vaccine injuries, this COVID shot injury, we mustn't call it a vaccine. Um, so, no, I don't think this is just lip service. Nothing will come of this. Actually, a, a good thing to to look at is at the moment you have the Gosport inquiry, which is about, I think they've got about 400, but it was much more elderly patients that died on the end of a syringe. And it was 35 years ago. It's taken 35 years to make it and now the media are reporting on it most of those staff are they still alive will anything be done no it's just another inquiry to appease and then there'll be a you know it'll be washed over and we'll have some new guidelines written and it'll just continue with the next thing and, and this is what's happening now just the same as i always knew that they would continue with the the passport of course they will that the eu and the world health organization this will all play out they're not going to stop and this is just little distractions. That's all it is. Yeah, and it'll be three years before there's any... I think it'll it'll be three years before they stop taking testimonies and then it could be another year or more before there's any sort of publication. I, I tend to agree with that. We'll come back in a moment, Kate, to... Thanks for bringing it up. I, I'd kind of forgotten about this. 
uh, today. But yeah, the vaccine passport is back in play again with the World Health Organization putting out noise about this and Brussels as well. So we'll come back uh, to that for, for, for sure. Let, let's talk about COVID shot injuries, right? It's It's no secret now. I mean, even... I suppose the most obstinate of people, and I know people who are pretty obstinate in my own community. Now they're saying, yeah, it looks like, you know, some people have definitely been adversely affected by having one of these jabs. A good friend of mine reckons his dad, who had a heart attack recently, may very well have, you know, had the the, the heart trouble to begin with because of the jabs that he had. Um. We, we, we know there's a yellow card reporting system in this country. Other countries have their own methods of of where people can go and report injuries. Look, I know I, I know it's it's kind of conjecture because we don't have access to, to everything we'd like to have access to. But even anecdotally, what what are your thoughts about the level of injuries that that um that we're dealing with? Like what are we now? We're we're June twenty twenty three. They began rolling out the jabs, didn't they, Kate, in December of 2020, January of 2021. What do we think we know anecdotally at this stage? Well, we, we, we don't need to say anecdotal because what we can do is that we can state for the record that there is a government payout for vaccine damage in the UK, which is capped at 120k. In America, they have a similar system and they've already paid out millions upon millions. And what were they for? They were for all vaccines that are currently out there on on the market. That's all your vaccines. And no vaccine has ever been proven safe. No vaccine has ever been proven effective. No two vaccines have ever been tested together for their efficacy. You know what the combined effect would be. You can you can have a something that might have a low a danger. But you combine it with something else and it's all bets are off because there's been no testing done like that. So, you know, straight off off that um, they're very dangerous, full stop. And many people die every year immediately, shortly afterwards and children and babies um, a, a while afterwards. But they certainly will have their lives shortened because they put immortalized cell lines in vaccines, aluminium, mercury, which crosses the blood brain barrier with polysorbate 80. And also your Wi-Fi, 2.45 to 5.8 gigahertz opens the blood-brain barrier. So these toxins go to the brain. Then you've got virus, fungus, mold, bacteria, parasites, all of which proliferate when you bring in high EMF, the work of Professor Mosculu, Dr. Barry Trower, all state that, that this will proliferate under the high amount of EMF that they're proposing with 5G. So you've already got all of that. People have already had their payload injected into them. Then when you bring in the bioengineering shot, if you look at all the patents, um, they've got lipids in them, four types, which are not organic. They're, they're, they're not natural at all. They're not even lipids. They're um, micro, they're engine, like little, um, you can preload them nanoparticles, nanotech engineering, that's what it is. And so you have that plus the graphene, you, it's all been proven to be in there. So you have everybody getting sick, but there's another caveat, you see the, the hydrogel, which has a positive electromagnetic charge on it, as does the graphene. Well, the hydrogel was found on the PCR swabs. Now we were never allowed when we were in A&E to put something up a patient's nose if it was something right up there. We had to get the ear, nose and throat specialist down. Uh, they would come down. 
And just at the top of the nose, you have a little bone, the cribriform plate that's porous. That's where the olfactory, the nerve for your smell goes. The other side of that bone is your meninges to your brain. And there's lots of studies on PubMed. How do you get a drug intrathecally, you know, into that central nervous system? You, there's, there, you know, trials to, to do it up the nose. Well, we know that hydrogel, it will replicate and it will infiltrate. And you can form a mesh over the, the neocortex of the brain with this positive electromagnetic charge. So there's all these different things that we know. I personally have seen magnets stick into people's heads, arms. I've tested them with a very heavy magnet and paper clips that flip. Uh, so you've got all that. So that's all the facts. Now you have all these people who are showing many, many signs and including one of the ones that's not really often talked about, which is now showing up, is that you're seeing eye problems and occlusions, um, increasing risk of blindness. And you're getting these occlusions, these blood clots in the artery that feeds, the main artery that feeds the retina. So they're starting to lose their sight. They're getting migraines. And, and this is all slowly coming, but that, and that's on top of all your my, myocarditis, all your heart problems and everything else. So these things are all starting to happen slowly, which I'm concerned that that would go in with the hydrogel, not just the COVID shots. It would go in with these these PCR tests because this is multi. It's a multi attack. Uh, and like I say, you know, they laid all the 5G during lockdown. Why? If it was such a deadly pandemic, why would they be out doing that? So you've got all these you've got all these injuries coming. And there was something, if, if I can slightly digress. Just before you, you do, can, can I come back on a couple yeah. of things there just before yeah. you do? Um, I've been doing what I do for a long time, right? And because I have, I know that there are some dark actors in the independent media. Now, what I, I, I'm not going to name anybody. And I, I actually don't mean program makers. I mean others. I mean others who purport to have a scientific background or whatever. So what I'm going to say to you now, Kate, is I don't know that you're wrong. And I'm not saying you're wrong when you talk about graphing being in the jab. But I I take with a pinch of salt when people put videos on BitChute and say, I've got proof that the jabs contain graphene. Now, I want to reiterate, I'm not saying that I can prove that they don't. But I wonder, do people put this stuff in the public domain in some way to discredit what other people are trying to do? Honest operators you know like former nurses like for example like yourself and and doctors so, so i just don't know uh, about that well, about graphene i agree but the hydrogel yeah that's what, that's the way it works that's what it does and there's lots of studies on pubmed talking about how they would get something intrathecally in and that's what hydrogel does and we've seen all the stuff what the undertakers are pulling out these clots and that would all go in line with that, what that is because it's inorganic like the lipids so you, if you look at all those little facts you look at the fact that in those that were injected you're seeing very a, a huge amount of eye problems post jab and uh, you know the occlusions to to the retina the vascular occlusions you know what could be causing that yeah so the the um and of course on. they're not going to look into it this is the most important point they're never going to admit it they're not going to look into it and we're left then where again honest operators i mean i'd love some of the people that you've interviewed over the years some of the people i've interviewed i would love them to have access to all the paperwork and all the data because they're honest operators but they don't get access to all the 
data and all the, the paperwork and of course the, the legacy media is never going to report on the fact that people are coming down with issues related to their site and that people are coming down with um, what, what did a guest say recently Christy Grace turbo cancers you know an epidemic yeah. of cancer and I, stuff I, like that yeah but you know you know even that look cancer is one in two in the UK and in 2018, I think that the main cancer charities, Cancer Research UK, those crooks, um, they were reporting that by 2050, cancer would be 100%, that everybody would get a uh, diagnosis in their lifetime. So this is already out there. Did they really say and that, Kate? Yes, it was in. It was because I did a I did a, a video on it, and of course I had cancer 11 years ago and refused chemo, radio, tamoxifen, yeah. zolidex. That's why I got into all this. I'd love to get so, that quote. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not in any way calling you a liar, but I'd love to see that because that's mega. If they said at one time that in the future well, every single person will have cancer, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going on trajectories. So if you look at, you only have to look at where cancer was at the turn of the century and how, after the industrial revolution, that it rapidly increased. It's all there. All the evidence is there, and I think it's always good. And I think this is what doctors and you know, the, the scientists bastardize science. What I think happens is they lose, you know, you can go and see an oncologist. You can be at death's door because you've had an iatrogenic, a disease causing um, effect of the very treatment that they're giving you. And they can be staring at your scan results showing that your tumor has shrunk and they will deem the treatment a success, but it's wiped out all your fighter cells and you die of pneumonia. Yeah. Now that will go to a death certificate as pneumonia, yeah. but that drug will be deemed a success. That's how crooked this entire system is. So one has to uh, really consider that the, the one way you, you put on your detective hat is the patient well. Are they improving? If a patient arrives at you and they're sick, again, you put on your detective hat and you go through and you ask them questions. What are they, you know, are they, are they ill? Do they have any medical conditions? Are they on any drugs? Have they had any recent vaccines? What have they been doing? Is it an injury? What have they been exposed to? And you do all of this. Now, it would have been in the past, well, I've just had a COVID shot. The only thing I've done differently. But this is not in the questioning anymore because they know. Um, so you, you only, we, we can argue with people to the cows come home. I just yeah. don't bother anymore. Well, I was going to ask you that because convincing people, again, look, I've, I started doing shows like this back in 2009 after I realised in the mid 2000s that something was very wrong and that society was going down this avenue, you know, towards, if you want to call it totalitarianism. And I've wrestled with for years, I suppose, the knowledge or the fear that it's, it's almost impossible to get people to even consider you know, to even consider this, that that they the people they put their complete trust in, their faith in, would give them, not only give them medicines that they weren't sure were safe, that's bad enough, but that they would knowingly give them medicines that would um, transform their body somehow or change them or leave them open to become more ill in the future. Now, that's not your responsibility and I don't want to bore you with that question, but I suppose it must occur to you and and others sometimes that this is just something that it's over, it's not over the heads of most people, but it is something that people do not want to contemplate. You know, that they would do harm, not by some foolishness or by some mistake but that they would do it deliberately it's so difficult Kate even me all these years later I still wrestle with it 
No, I, I don't wrestle with it. I always say the government are not your mummy and daddy and they don't love you. I don't need governing. Yeah. Um, and and if you look at medicine, as, as you called it medicine, uh, there's a thing called the lethal dose, the LD. And LD50 is, is classed as very dangerous. That means if you give 100 people a drug, 50 of them will die. There is no drug that is LD0. No drug. No drug. Yeah, so, everything comes at a risk, yeah, of course. Yeah, now, but there are everything. Everything is already here that has no risks that will heal you, that will reverse your disease. It's already here, and it's all natural. It's, it's all already growing here. in the wild, yeah. And they're trying to, you know, hide it. And uh, I was just saying, we have an abundance of dandelions growing just now, and they have so many health benefits, including mixed with m milk thistle. They'll have an impact on spike proteins breaking it down and there's there's studies on PubMed. Is this dandelion so, dandelion tea you're talking about? Well you can eat everything from a dandelion, the flowers, yeah. the leaves, roots, all of it. But you know, going back, if if one enters into that arena, which is what's happened, this is what the last hundred years or so has been about, the whole system, the healthcare, it's not a healthcare system. It's it's there to make you sick, keep you sick treat you, kill you, charge you, and dispose of you. Uh, that's exactly what it's there for. You're worth £487 dead under the Palliative Care Funding Review of 2011. And, you know, uh, if you look at the Office of National Statistics, uh, or, or the amount of people that are dying, I think it was the month of February, it was something like 20,000, and it should be about eight. And half of those, one can assume had their 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 deaths hastened with end of life care which is is illegal that would make it murder um but that happens and um, this is all going on and and i suppose it's it's a very interesting time in history because never before have so many lay people been aware of the lie that is medicine and vaccines and that the uptake of all vaccines has dropped exponentially. And that, that brings me to something I, d I really did want to put up. Yeah, uh, but before you do, hold that thought. I want you to tell me what you're going to tell me next. So don't forget what you're going to tell me next, but let me stay, stay with this for a moment because I think you might be onto something there. So regardless of how much the legacy media tries to cover up COVID jab injuries, which of course they, they cover it up morning, noon and night. They refuse to discuss it really outside of maybe a mention on GB News, maybe once in a blue moon, but they cover it up, right? But you can't hide this stuff in the community, so you can't. So people are aware of it, even if they're not getting their news from the independent media. People know that these jabs have caused harms. So I think you were just about to say something, and I think it, it's about people not being as quick to take their youngsters for their for their scheduled jabs. Because I've read a number of stories in the national press in the last few months saying that, you know, kids are not coming forward for various jabs that they would expect to be having when they're five, when they're six, when they're seven. And I'm wondering, Kate, are mum and dad saying, well, you know what now, maybe I won't take... Um, you know, Mary or, or, or little Bob there for their jab because I'm I'm hearing things about jabs. I wonder, is that going on? Well, what's happened is the COVID con has exposed the lie that is medicine and people are now looking at it. And, and I know, and, and listen, I don't think I in any way I'm a special snowflake, but I, I cried at an email I got today from someone thanking me 
that, that it had stopped them and they'd looked into everything and they weren't doing any shots for any of their family. So I, it's it's really making people um, take responsibility for their own health and they're looking at this. Now, it does bring me on to, there was a rally in London and uh, this all of these people were there. These, you know, the vaxxed injury, injured are, are becoming celebrities in their own right. And um, they were all there and this lady stood up and, and I'm not um, in any way refuting what she states. She stated that her husband had died as a as a consequence and that she was injured and she said we are not anti-vax we're anti-covid vax and straight away i was horrified absolutely horrified because there are ingredients uh, that are in both immortalized cell lines for a start and and i thought oh i was starting to see something here that was a little bit like damage limitation so she continued this lady and i'm actually more than happy to debate this with her but she continued and she said at this rally, which was filmed, um, I'm the great, 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 I think, whatever, granddaughter of Jenna. I think it's Edward, Edward Jenner. Edward Jenner, yeah. Who, who saved thousands of lives with the, with the smallpox shot. I was horrified because, first of all, the anti-vax movement in the United Kingdom was born on the streets of Leicester. And the reports in the newspaper, there were sketches from that time because there was no mobile phones and cameras of people being beaten by police officers with their bobby helmets on and their batons and one newspaper would be read you know sev several times seven times or so and these people were out on the streets because some of them their children had already died because they were made to have these injections these these smallpox shots and the consequences the legal ramifications of not having their children was three months salary on an average man's salary as a fine and or prison and one of the cases from that time was a man who one of his children had already died and they wanted to come in and inject the next one well who in their right mind would allow it that smallpox all of these childhood diseases it's a lie vaccines didn't save anything it was a time of great filth, poor sanitation, mass overcrowding, poor ventilation, dead, dying and diseased animals mixed in with the food supply. And high infant mortality food. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. If you look at measles, between 1900 and 1961, um, measles was eradicated by 98% and in some countries, 99.3%. Now, on that trajectory, one could hypothesize that it was going to be 100% pretty quick. It was going to disappear entirely. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. so 1900 to 1961, the vaccine didn't come in until 1963. By the way, so, can, I just, um, can I just endorse what you said about the anti-vax, if you want to call it that, movement in Leicester? I, I haven't challenged Kate there because she's telling the truth. There's actually some excellent BBC, I, I hate to say it, I hate to admit it. There's some wonderful BBC articles, which um, one dates back to December 2019, about the um, anti-vaccination movement in Leicester. People taking to the streets, as Kate said, in their tens of thousands to oppose these compulsory small pox jabs. So th this is hidden history, Kate. They don't teach you this stuff. Well, they don't, but I, I can tell you, for happened. anyone who wants to call me, you know, whatever they call me, they call me lots of names, you know, come to the table because everything I say, I can prove. And um, so children were dying. So for me to hear at an anti-COVID rally, these shots for the injured, I'm the, the great, great granddaughter and he saved thousands of life and yeah. the crowds cheer. 
Do you see something very sinister? I do, but God, I... but God love her. She probably believes it. You know, I hear this from a lot of people. I hear from people, Richie, I will not take one of those COVID jabs. But listen, I'm totally in favour of jabs. And I think, Kate, one of the reasons they say this is because just like me, and maybe just like you, I don't know if you have, but we've got the three little scars on our left arm from the BCG, from the polio jab. I have a son who is, my twins were given that when they were five and a half weeks premature. Uh, they weighed five pounds, six and four pounds the day they get it. I was told they had to have it for me to leave hospital. And the consequences are still there today for my children. And it was later when I researched it, um, you know, my son spent, he missed his A-levels. He spent the best part of a year in a wheelchair um, when he got older, because these things don't have an impact sometimes immediately, it's later. So you think um, the BCG probably did some harm? The point, the, the point I was making is like for most people who had the BCG, or at least most people I know anyway, um, they didn't have a reaction to it. So so this is why they think jabs are good. And you will acknowledge this, won't you? This is the reason they say, well, I'm, I, I hear bad things about the COVID jabs, but jabs in general are good things. Now, you and I know they're not good things. We know that, you know, giving children before they're, they are five, 16 jabs is madness. We know this. Yeah, they're good till one of their own is injured. Yeah. And, I, you know, I did a podcast with Andy Wakefield and the witch hunt that went on for him. What, what we have is we, we have a media, um, we have a, a tyrannical government and we have the police acting as agents of the state. And doctors are not doctors. Well, they're indoctrinated. But we have to start calling them what they are. They're pimps. That they're just pimps. They're not all of them, but some of them. Yeah, I know this. You're absolutely a right. Yeah. A lot of them. And and so what we have is, is blind ignorance. That's what we have. And um, we know that this is true because they wouldn't have come out as hard and as heavy as they have on those that are, are pointing you in the right direction. Um, one only has to look a little bit below the surface to find out Spanish flu was, was due to vaccines and it was due to aspirin. All those uh, photographs in the hospitals, you see the same ones over and over again. They were all given huge doses of an unlicensed drug owned by Bayer, which was aspirin. Huge doses, 1,400 milligrams every hour for 12 hours. Yeah, again, this the is people... true. I'm not challenging this because it's true. It's got to be said, this is true. Can I, yeah, can I read a couple so, of quick comments? Because if I don't, I'm going to get hammered here. This is a very interactive radio show. So I'm going to read some comments. Just before I do, sorry to cut across you there. You'll get loads of time between now and seven, Kate. So hold on to that thought, but I've got to read comments. They're coming in through the app, the Richie Allen Show app. You are listening to the Richie Allen Show, 24 and a half minutes to the top of the year. The world's most listened to independent news radio show broadcasting on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2 in Manchester, the TuneIn app and multiple platforms around the world. Kate Chemer. Rani is our guest, just in case you've just joined me. Kate is a former NHS nurse. She's a radio presenter these days, an activist, and co-founded the British Nursing Alliance. She's known as the natural nurse in a toxic world. Thank you for the comments. Hundreds have come in. Christine says, Kate said what my dad used to say. They make you sick to keep you sick. He had what's now called COPD. Uh, Chris says, all the data shows that the COVID jabs are harming and killing people. Anyone who knows any of this is deliberately 
harming people. Jacob says, Richie, my friend's mum was buried last week, had stage 4 cancer. Another friend's daughter was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer the same week. No stage 1, 2 or 3, stage 4. Now Jacob, just to be the devil's advocate, this could be because she didn't get access to testing or screening because the NHS became a COVID-only service. Kate mentioned um, how... Everything you need is in the natural world to help uh, keep you well and to treat the source of problems, not the symptoms. She's right. And I was going to jump in with this, but I decided not to. But the European Union began a campaign in the mid 2000s that peaked in 2009-2010 to ban thousands of completely harmless traditional medicines. I was working for Talk Radio Europe at the time and it was something I covered. Isn't that right, Kate? Uh, Thousands and thousands. We're, we're banned for no reason. For no reason, yeah. Lobbying it's, by the big pharma uh, companies, you would imagine, uh, was, was the reason for this. Absolutely. And one also has to be aware that, you know, 90% of supplements on the market are synthetic and they contain a lot of nasties. And it, and it can be as corrupt and as lucrative as, as the other way. So you, you don't need to go and you just need to look around. You get yourself a good book on herbs and learn how to eat them. You know, let, let me just give, I, I, I hate to just be the grim reaper. There's a wonderful, wonderful remedy for coughs. And you just get, you slice an onion through so you can see the rings. You do a slice of onion, a spoonful of raw honey, slice of onion, spoonful of honey. And you just keep building it up in a jar, put some distilled water or spring water in the jar, seal it, put it in the fridge for 24 hours. The next day, fish out the onions. There's your cough remedy. It will last for months. You just take a spoonful, four tablespoons full a day, spread out for an adult, four teaspoons a day for a child, and it will stop the cough. And garlic, you know, gar- anything beginning with G, garlic, ginger, they're natural blood thinners. Um, garlic is antibacterial, antimicrobial. Um, I eat virtually a whole bulb every day. All of these things, it tells us in scripture, the Lord gave us the herbs as medicine and pharmaceutical drugs. You know this, but your listeners might not know. They isolate the active compound in that which is natural. They make a synthetic version. They float it on the stock market. All of these usual gangsters buy up the shares. Then when it gets its license, if the shares then cost a lot more money, and then they put it out to market, regardless of the side effects. People believe that that bar for safety is set. It is not. It's a sliding bar. And if they consider that condition um, is is life-threatening or terminal, that bar will go very low. And I've already told you about the LD, um, the lethal dose of a drug. So they're taking what is natural and making something synthetic. So they know that the natural things work. And you know, we we saw that all foods in the UK, all meat, all livestock, all vegetation is going to be genetically modified. It's banned in some countries. In the animal studies, um, second generation, 40% sterility, third generation, 100% sterility. One only has to Google spermageddon and you'll see how they expect 100% sterility possibly just out of my lifetime, but certainly in my children's lifetimes. And, Let's stay um, with this for a minute. Let's stay with um, with um, this particular issue. You know, low sperm counts and infertility, which has come up a few times in the last couple of years in the mainstream media. And laugh, laughably, 
Kate, they, they put it down to some substance that's um, readily found on kitchen products. They said this is the... Now, now I'm not a misogynist, Kate, but I, I don't do a lot in the kitchen, right? But they put All it right. down... They, I'm not. But they put it down to, to this. Now, this is obviously ridiculous. I believe that infertility in males can be explained by ultra-processed foods, as you've touched on there, exposure to EMF, to non-ionising radiation, idiot men going going about their business with their smartphones in their front um, po- pockets and yeah. all the rest of that, right? But this is important now, and, infertility. And underpants. underpants, your testes hang outside the body. Briefs, the you mean? Thick. Yeah, the skin on your testes is as thin, the scrotum is as thin as your eyelid. And the reason that is, is because they're two degrees lower than normal body temperature. So what should guys and wear then? I'm, I'm not, this is not funny. This is deadly serious. Anything. What should guys, so go commando you basically. Wear, co- you know, cotton boxer shorts. Right. Don't wear anything. They're not supposed to be encased in a nice pair of cotton snug chuddies. Yeah. Not at all. Um, they're your jewels. And as for you saying misogynist, I'm a believer that women need to really learn the role of what a woman is because we've emasculated the men and now we're all squealing we want them to protect us well i i'm, I'm a firm believer in no man's got any place in my kitchen um kate you know, hang on hang on few... kate kate hang on i've got to sh- <laughs> i've got to shout downstairs to the future mrs allen to turn up the radio <laughs> turn up the radio love there's a bit of truth coming your way here but listen i, I get this i had an argument once with a feminist and uh, it was a brilliant uh, interview actually it was a, about 11 or 12 years ago in spain and she was brilliant as well, this uh, lady. Um, she's often on TV now. Her name will come to me in a moment. And she was talking about, you know, going out and the right to go out, the right to work in corporations, the right to work in the law. And I said, fantastic. You know, I wouldn't stop you doing that. Do what you want. But I said, I don't think you can, you can convince me that going to work for a corporation to increase the share value of a company, to put money in the pockets of strangers is a more important job than raising your children to be good people and, and managing your home. That was my argument. I got called every name under the sun, you know, misogynist, old-fashioned and all the rest of it. But there's some truth to that, isn't there? There's a little well, bit of truth. Absolutely, because take a look at what's happening. You have a, um, a lot of people now very angry at what the schools are teaching their children. Well, you went to work to have two cars on your drive, a big mortgage and a holiday in Benidorm um, and put your child's best waking hours in the hands of the government. And, And it's not necessary. So, you know, women can't have it always. Women cannot, this whole ladette culture. Yeah, but hang women on a second now, Kate Chimarani. You went out and studied and got your degree and went off to nurse. So people might say, she's preaching no, this no, lady I, now, but I, she I, did it. Go on. I No, I did it when it was real nursing, when you were, you were part of the workforce, when it was a school of nursing in Glasgow. And then they made it equivalent to a diploma and then the degree later. That's where it all went wrong, where, where you know, women are out there and men, ticket collecting going into nursing not as a vocation um absolutely not you know this is the problem you don't need to have a degree or even need to have all these you know gcses and a levels to be a good nurse you just need to have a love for your fellow man and want to do everything that that patient would do if they had the necessary will knowledge and strength to do it themselves to aid them to a comfortable death or a full recovery that was henderson's 1966 quote roughly what i've just said what a nurse is it's all gone topsy-turvy but but going back to you know women having it all i left i was working for ba for 10 years as well i left i left nursing then i went back part-time ba and then part-time nursing but when i had my children 
I had eight years of not working to be a full time mummy. That was my decision because I didn't want to once my second. I worked at night when my first one came along in A&E. I'm NHS direct and my husband was home. But once we moved to the south, no, I became a full time mummy because it was so important. And, you know, whether I would do it like this again, what I'm about to say, but all my children could read, write, add and subtract before they even went to school. Um, you know, they, they knew all the flowers. I took them to museums. I took them out around nature, everything, because I saw it. That was my role. And um, I don't I think one of them had never had antibiotics by the time he went to university or he'd had them once. So they were pretty healthy kids. But I, I think it's choices we make. And, and the problem now is that, um, you know, going back to what you were saying about infertility. So I believe it was roundabout in the uh, after 1996, I think it was one in six couples was infertile and they didn't know why. So it was quite a high incidence. Um, and, and you quite rightly said toxins um, and it would be diet. It would also be lack of sleep and a rise in adrenaline and cortisol levels. All of these things will have an impact, stress, everything. The sperm take about 70-ish days to make. And, and, and fellas are going to really like this. Uh, and, um, you know, men should be ejaculating regularly to to make the way for new ones. It's funny you say and this about, about ejaculating regularly. I did a men's sexual health live evening radio show in Spain with two crazy doctors, Kate, from Florida and from South America. Lovely guys. Carlos Diawana is a famous urologist. Great guy. And he asked me live on air, he embarrassed me one night. He said, um, you know, do you, do you masturbate regularly? It's a terrible question to ask an Irish radio presenter live on air because, you're, you know, you're, you're doomed no matter what you say, you know, because nobody's going to believe you if you say no. And then if you say yes, then you're embarrassed. But he, he bailed me out and he said, the reason I asked that is, he said, men should be masturbating regularly. And the first thing he said was, he he agreed with you about um, about reproducing sperm, but he said um, your risk of prostate cancer decreases significantly. Down. It yeah. does. That's right. It's, yeah, really and interesting. And also, yeah. zinc zinc is stored in the in the prostate and the testes, and uh, there's 2.7 billion people in the world are zinc deficient. There's only about 21 years worth left. Gly glyphosate chelates it from the plant, taking it up. And it inhibits that enzyme that converts your good testosterone into the bad one. And, and prostate cancer is like one in three. But I would like to elaborate on what you've said there. You know, this you've got this rise in porn. So if men are watching porn to do it, then that's not real. Then it affects their sex life. Yeah. I would say don't masturbate. I'd say if you're in a loving, stable relationship, you should be having Have plenty yeah. of good sex. And, and the reason why I say that is for women, it's turned into a sex show. No, this is stunning, Kate. This is stunning. My family doctor used to tell my mother. My mother told me this when I was a man, obviously. Um, but, but, but she said to me, my mother said to me, when, 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 when you were a very young lad, our family doctor would say to me, you know, if I was a bit depressed or if she was a bit um, under the weather, the family doctor, right, a female family doctor would say to my mother and to her other female patients, presumably, you need to be having more sex. It's healthy yes. on so many levels, basically, with your partner. It is, and you, yeah. You've got all these women that get older and they start to have, you know, incontinence problems, prolapses, and you know, dry vaginas. That's painful. The all of those, all of those muscles, if you like, the pelvic girdle, 
um, all of that is kept tight and has a great blood supply to it. If you're using your vagina and you're having orgasms, you know, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. But at the same time, um, I just would like to point out when a woman has intercourse with a man, that sperm will has a uh, has an uh, it will drop her immunity a little bit because the body recognizes it as hostile. Now, when she has sex with that same man again, the body recognizes it. And that's why if you have lots of intercourse with lots of different men, because the vagina is naturally acidic and, and it's, it's built to take semen. And but if you have sex with lots of different men, you're just going to get that inflammation at the cervix. And that is what causes uh, cervical cancer, not a virus. I interviewed Joan Shenton uh, on my show on sacrificial virgins about the HPV vaccine. But, you know, this is the problem um, when semen in the stomach and semen in, in, in the rectum is very, very toxic, but it's not in the vagina. So for, for couples, I see that they've got a TV. I, I actually I do lectures up and down the country and I have lots of private patients and I get them using the I should have I should have my own brand here because I'm always recommending them and everybody writes it down and probably buys them. These Coney Coney eggs that the the um, I think they're called Coney and it's what the concubines used to use to keep all those muscles tight uh, and they work. So they flood blood supply into the vagina, which therefore increases the mucus. You don't get the dry vagina. You don't get the loose. You don't get the prolapse. And it's much better for both both in, in the couple. But uh, that all goes back. It it will keep a couple together. It's the one thing that you do that you don't do with anyone else. or so you shouldn't. It's brilliant it's stuff, Kate. We've only got about three minutes left today. I, I well, said, listen, I've got a postcards. I'm single. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I love it. A PO box. We'll get you a PO box number. We can't give out your. We can't give out your real address. But um, that's no, worth exploring. But you know, that's worth exploring on a future pro. Not exploring, but let, let me just tell you this, right? And I could screen grab this stuff. So the. There, there's an app for the program and it's very simple to message the studio so th th we've had probably 80 or 90 only in the last 10 minutes alone and they're from blokes so I've weeded out a couple of the silly jokey ones but there's plenty of really good questions about sexual health and about men's health and it sounds like you know I know this wouldn't have been your brief when you were an NHS nurse but I know you've since educated yourself on these issues so it wouldn't be a bad show to do some evening just to chat about that well, more, more rounded yeah you a great show on that. Yeah. I, I, I let go on. Absolutely. Any 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 time I can do that for you. But if anyone has any problems, um I can be emailed on naturalnurse at mail.com. And um I'm all you know, I, I do personalized programs, but I, I, I want everyone to, you know, die of old age and be happy along the way. Just before you go today, um I we only barely touched on on, on processed foods. Now, again, this is getting quite a bit of coverage in the mainstream media here and, and elsewhere. The supermarket is our enemy, isn't it, really? Absolutely. I've got a huge greenhouse gone up. I've got all my seeds. I don't eat processed foods. Um, and I, 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 you know, I, I just can't. I don't want to. They make my joints hurt. I won't do it. Um, and if people... There's nothing good in there. The oils that are in there push oxygen away from the cell. They're terrible. Um, they're going to, you know, the, the sugar, sugar, when that sugar, as soon as you have white sugar, it uses up 56 molecules of your magnesium. This is why you get angina and muscle spasms and leg cramps 
um, because it's using up. So this is just going to make you sick. And when you get sick, you're not going to get a, a get out of jail free card. Everyone is going in that funnel, which is algorithmic medicine, which is going to ensure that you are population triage for your worth to the government. And if you're not worth anything, you're going to be having all your food, water and essential medication removed and you're going to be put on end of life care. And the documents are there. Anyone who is clinical frailty school five, if they don't start to improve and they're breathless, they can. that's what's going to happen to them. That's the new guideline. And what is clinical frailty school five? It means you might have just mild, mild frailty. You can dig a hole in your garden, but you couldn't dig a grave. You might have, you know, you might have epilepsy. Is this sounding familiar? There's another time in history where when you had mild frailty. They used to guillotine you in the basements. 1933, Nazi Germany, they began by guillotining the elderly and the disabled for the effort for the country. Then they moved on much later to giving them a cocktail of drugs, starving them, leaving them outside for exposure. That's how they killed the elderly and the disabled. Nothing has changed. It's just a different weapon for a different time. And today, so and today yes, in the Irish Parliament, they're debating for the first time the possibility of an assisted dying bill. It's something Shocking. they want to bring. It's, it's horrendous. I agree with you. Very quickly, we, we can pick that up again another time, sooner rather than later. Just, um, you did mention, uh, you're on Twitter. It's at Kate Shimerani on Twitter for people oh, yeah, who are I just on Twitter. Got my Twitter. You got your Twitter account back a little bit later than I got mine back. And is there somewhere else online that people should go to um, see more about what you're doing? I know you're on BitChute. Yeah, I'm on Getter. I'm on Truth Social. I just got a Facebook page back, but you have to look me up because it's got so many restrictions on it. Uh, We've got British Nursing Alliance on Telegram, which myself and another wonderful young lady posts. We have got a lot happening, but I I have to kind of keep it under wraps. And again, if uh, I'm on... um, TNT live radio on Sundays at 11 a.m. GMT. That's 12 midday. Medical crimes in tyrannical times. Unity News Network on a Wednesday night, 8 p.m. And I'm on Sons of Liberty Radio on uh, Saturdays at 1 p.m. I'm also on Awake the Nation. I forgot about that on Thursdays. But um, if if anyone does want to whistleblow to me or they have health concerns, they want a private program. I do weight loss. I do everything. And I don't do diet. Diet for me means deny I eat things. Um, so we don't we don't we don't ration ourselves. We just eat the right foods. It's about educating um, natural nurse at mail.com. I do public talks everywhere and I go to some places every month and it's turned into a class. So if you want me to come and do an evening for you, as long as you cover my expenses for that, I'm more than happy. Fair uh, enough, but yeah. Please. Listen, I want thanks. To share what I'm thanks for, well, thanks for today. Good to catch up with you again. It's been ages. It won't be as long so before I invite you on next time. Godspeed to you. Look after yourself, Kate. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye for now. Kate Chemerani live on Tuesday's Richie Allen radio show. That's about it, really, for today. Thanks again to Kate and also to Tony Gosling uh, for his time earlier on. Great to have Tony back on as well. And thank you for all your comments. I'm sorry I didn't get to read out more of them. Apologies, but it was a pretty busy programme. I'm back with you tomorrow, Wednesday, at 5 o'clock UK time. I mentioned earlier on, at the top of the programme, Ireland lost a great son today, Christy Dignam, uh, the great singer-songwriter, uh, the frontman for Aslan. And, uh, of course, he was with Conor Goff. Dignam and Goff passed away after a battle, a long battle with illness, age 63. So, um, God speak to him on his journey. And we'll close out the programme today with another amazing track from him. Until tomorrow, it's bye for me, bye now.